even you know adding up to 18 wolves to an ongoing combat I don't care if they're challenge rating eight one eight. That's like <laughs> it is a bit. That's an alarming situation. Right, right, right. Everyone's positioned perfectly. We've got REOEs, battlefield control. Oh shit! Wolves <laughs> oh, just no. everywhere. Oh, <laughs> is that eighteen wolves? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigle. And I'm Will Milton. And we'll be hanging out with you for the next hour to talk about anything and everything D and D related. This episode, we're taking a look at the Bard Paladin Multiclass, and then later on, Vampires from the Monster Manual. So pull the chair and hang out for a while. So we made a little mistake. Uh, last episode, at the end of it, we said next week on Monsters and Multiclass, the Bugbears, the Bugbearing. And also, it's not next week, it was two weeks from now, because we did the schedule change. Not that that's really important, but we're also talking about vampires. We didn't really... That didn't really register until after. I don't know why it happened. It just did. So you're going to hear about vampires and you're going to like it. Yeah. And then the next episode will be the bug baroning. That one we promise. Blah. Okay. On to the show or continue with the show. I don't know where I'm going to splice this in somewhere. <laughs> this is Kevin from the future recording something to stick in the show. It's, it's not important. Rambling mess. We've said that before. <laughs> All right. We're done. All right, so this week our multi-class is the Bard Paladin. Uh, so bards are full spellcasters. They use their charisma as their spellcasting modifier, and generally speaking, they uh, cast through their instruments or through spoken word and use the uh, the magic of oration. Is it, what is it? The yes. magic of oration. Yeah, and that's basically it's, like we <laughs> talking okay. magic. Yeah. I mean, I guess all magic can kind of be, unless it doesn't have a verbal well, component. No, but I think you is, just used this time for shit on Jared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many times have we done a bard multi-class? I don't know. How many times have we gone through, this is the general gist of the bard. And when have you ever gotten it right? Never. Never. <laughs> Never, right, I guess. completely off the rails. Yeah. So that's bards. All right. Paladins. <laughs> uh point is uh charisma 13 is the requirement to multi-class with them uh paladins are lawfully devoted to something and they get their powers through that uh they're half casters and definitely a melee focused character uh multi-class requirements is 13 strength and 13 charisma uh so first thoughts will so we got the double charisma um both of these both of these are kind of the party face a lot of the times you'll find in a party. And I find them to be quite obnoxious most of the time. <laughs> Paladins are usually obnoxious about what they believe in. Bards are usually obnoxious just like in general. So <laughs> I don't know how the combination is going to be there. And with like holy smite damage, now the bard's going to get arrogant about how good he is in combat. This seems like a dangerous path. So you're mostly just worried because they're going to piss you off at the table. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts mechanically or just... Oh, no, not yet. Okay, cool. <laughs> Kevin? Um, this definitely has the potential to be a very arrogant, annoying character. That aside, mechanically, I think this is fantastic. I, I think these work beautifully together. There's, I was hard-pressed to find a combination that would be a bad choice. They just build on each other really well and can make a very unique character and everything synergizes great. Yeah, that was my uh, first thought as well. Is it seems like mechanically, we're not going to have much issue. Uh, Paladins are 
half spellcasters. So even giving the uh, full spellcaster from a bard and keeping that charisma as the spellcasting modifier is just going to make the paladin spellcasting better, where usually it, it just kind of falls flat. And I, I say that as playing a paladin right now. Right now, my options are generally uh, hold any of my spells for smite. Uh, whereas if I was a full caster, I'd have a lot more spell slots for one uh, and also just a lot more options. Uh, so I could see that being pretty worthwhile. I was going to say, even just if you're mainly bard and one of the melee focused one, College of Valor or Swords, dip two levels into Paladin, that gets you access to Divine Smite and then it will scale with your bard levels because mm-hmm. you could use your bard spell slots to fuel your smite. And so two level dip and you get a very powerful class feature that will stick with you all the way to level 20 through the end of the campaign. Right, right. I mean, the Paladin Smite, you get um, at first level spell slot, you get 2d8. You can make that decision after you hit with an attack. And that means that if you crit, then you can double your damage dice there. So the quicker you can get higher levels on that as it scales 1d8 each level, the better, just the better off you are. I mean, that's really it. And the only limitation here is that if you're only going two into Paladin, uh, if you do go mostly into Bard, it's going to take you longer to get your uh, second attack. All of their, um, and just a little bit longer, all of their classes that use the uh, melee focus uh, get extra attack at 6th level instead of 5th, like right. other melee classes. So, so to clarify, uh, Divine Smite, you can use any spell level. Correct. And the only real, and this is probably why they put it, the maximum you can do is 5d8. Right. So, yeah, if you're chasing after a ninth level Smite, hilarious though that may be, <laughs> you can't technically do it. No. Oh, that'd be so, much, so many d8s. Oh, yeah. look, I rolled a 20. <laughs> it's like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> there goes my big bad evil guy. Right. Oh, good. You did half as much damage as the rogue sneak attack every turn. <laughs> if we want to be pedantic here, you get up to 68 through uh, Undead or Fiend. True. Because they yeah. do, you deal an extra 1d8 for them. But mm-hmm. Minor thing. Right. But I mean, the point is, like, a small dip into Paladin here is actually going to be really good. Uh, it's not going to hold you back too much on the, the bard side of things, though they do scale linearly like all spellcasters, or actually not even linearly. What's it called when it gets a lot better near the end? Exponentially. Hey, that's it. This isn't a math class. It's a D&D class. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my main issue, though, is going to be just around role-playing. Um, I, I think it's a little odd to an extent, not impossible. I just think it, it's not going to be, it's not one of those classes that I hear together and I just instantly go, yeah, that makes sense. Like a rogue fighter. That just, I hear that, that's fine. That makes sense. Right. Um, Paladin Bard, they kind of just don't go together. I don't, what I don't see is I don't really see a story coming together. It doesn't seem like any kind of fate behind it. It seems like just two decisions someone might have made. I don't know. Yeah, my main thing was, like, if you are doing, like, a dip in Paladin, it could probably be, like, some defining event, because Paladins do have, like, the a lot of Oath of Devotion and just things around, like, protection. So, um, one thing that I, I thought of is if, uh, you know, you have somebody who is a bard. You just take a normal bard backstory, doesn't really matter, and then some large event happens, uh, a family member, somebody close to them, whatever it is, gets hurt, uh, gets killed, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I wasn't strong enough to protect them. Uh, from now on, I'm going to devote myself to protecting the weak. And right. It's like, okay, you know, that's that's a pretty easy one. But I, yeah. Or if you want to take a little more edgy route, you take your loved one gets killed. And by raiding orcs or whatever you want it to be. And you take an oath of vengeance. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, that to, works to avenge them. And I mean, there's literally an oath of vengeance, right? So. Right, right. That's that's all you need to say. Yep. There's an oath of vengeance. I don't. So it's the the other way around. Um, I could still see it, especially since they're both charisma based. So the, the paladins take an oath, which means to, to kind of put it in a less epic way, they're super into something. Yeah, <laughs> and for devotion at least. Well, or, anything like it, the they are so into their oath, they actually pull power from the universe from right. It. That's ultimately what fuels a paladin. Right. Uh, a lot of people play it up as it's a religious thing with a god, but it, it, which so, it can, it does not have to be at all. Right. So you have these characters that are so incredibly into something that you would think there's going to be ones that want to spread the word of that. The 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 idea of devotion and protection. The I idea of redemption um or the ancients with the balance and nature and old magics and stuff like that i actually like oath of the ancients a lot with this Mm -hmm. um i think that's one of the the better combinations with like lore or glamour um they're basically like a paladin who's really devoted to protecting beauty um or again ancients thinking old knowledge yeah things like that um, ancient magics yeah right so i really like the idea of like the I, I was i couldn't put my finger on a single one but it came to mind of like a all i could think of was like one of those uh male anime characters who's like overly obsessed with beauty and will maybe you can like something comes to mind probably not but it's like this archetype of like just very obsessed with with beauty and everything has to do with beauty and they're usually pretty flam flamboyant characters um but then just Mixing that with the palette and the bard kind of goes pretty well together. So the the person who just goes off on monologues about how the, <laughs> the world is a natural order and it is my duty to protect it. And they always carry a rose in their mouth. That's like, that's what came to mind. I, now you're just thinking a tuxedo mask, but. Oh, sweet. Uh, tuxedo mask. <laughs> but the, the, my only problem, though, is like that guy would be a great bard, but he usually sucks. That's like the point of him. Yeah. So like as a paladin who works like that, I don't know. Well, I guess, you know, this, Sweet is, mask? this is once again, it's D&D. So it's, if, <laughs> yeah, if there's a time where it's going to work, it's going to work now. And also just to point out, since we're talking Oath of the Agents, I love their level seven ability. Which is? The ordering, Aura of Warding, where you on any friendly cranny, blah, 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 blah. you and any, any friendly creatures within 10 feet have resistance to damage from spells. Oh. That's insane. That, yeah. That's such an awesome ability. That is really, really good. That, I mean, all right. I, I do wonder, though, if that's better. I guess it probably is better than Oath of Devotion. Wait, you can't be feared? Uh, no, Oath of Devotion is the one that um, I have, I believe. Right. Yeah, and Oath of Devotion is... Uh, oh, wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I don't, yeah, all paladins oh, no, at right. six get the one where you could add your charisma modifier to saving throws. I always forget that. And then Oath of Devotion, I'm pretty sure that's when you can't be frightened or you can't be charmed. Charmed. <laughs> yep. You this can't be charmed yeah. while you're conscious, which has not come up once in our entire campaign, I don't think. It almost did. Oh, okay. You just made the saving throw, and it didn't matter anyways, because I forgot about it. The beholder <laughs> charm, right? You got hit by it. Yeah, but also, it, it, like, you should have just been immune anyway. That's bullshit. Right. It's like, oh, this condition totally came up in the campaign. You fought a beholder. It's like, every condition came up in one battle because of the beholder. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Other than that, it never happens. So yeah, I mean, we take a lot of spell damage compared to charms. Yeah. That's for sure. Right. Well, not a ton. There's not too many spells in this campaign. I, can, I yeah, actually think rare. there's been about like four spells in this campaign, and they were all counter spell. Oh yeah, <laughs> the boat of counter spell. Yeah. 
I, I guess it does say specifically spells, not yes. magical effects. Correct. So, like, none of the Beholder stuff would apply to this because they're not spells. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I, I will say in a standard campaign, I feel like, we're, again, we're playing Out of the Abyss right now, the campaign you're DMing. And that one is just not a lot of spellcasters. I mean, that's just all it comes down to. But I feel like every other campaign we've played, at the point that we're at now, which is level 11, we'd have fought a lot more spellcasters. Right. So I think this is just campaign specific one um, where generally speaking, that's great. I totally agree. So let's see. What's some other ones here that that might work? Uh, I see Oathbreaker. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> is there like an evil version of a bard yet? Um, Not through the... Ma- Whispers not like a, would be the closest. No, no, no. But they're so, not really no, no, evil. no. So you've got your oaths with paladins. You've got your college with bards. So right, right. This should be like a dropout bard. <laughs> a dropout bard the bard who who didn't make it into bard school the college of dropouts <laughs> um i don't know how far that one might get honestly oh uh, yeah no yeah, it's like you're just the worst bard <laughs> yeah um you know what was one thing that i actually kind of noticed uh while looking through the bards that was interesting uh that is not related to the paladin bard multi-class they don't really need much of a spell casting focus they can actually cast without their hands at all uh unless it's you know a um what is it? Semantic is is your hands? Yeah, somatic. Um, semantic. Semantic. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you're just getting into semantics. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So they don't need a spell focus. It says that you can use an instrument as your spell casting focus, but it doesn't say in their spell casting that they specifically need one. Which is why we've brought up before that like bards can just use spoken word, and that can be their their spell casting focus. It's adding an option. I looked into this. Spell casting. So the spell casting focus, the point of it is to replace the material components. Right. If they don't have that, then they need a component pouch and they still need a free hand to be able to access it. Right. Right. So I guess that's the only thing then. So what I will say, though, now that I do have a bard is there is a lot on the bard spell list compared to some other ones that don't really require material components. Mm -hmm. So you're not entirely wrong. Right. Right. But it's something. But, But that's true of any class. Like. Tech, no class technically needs a focus. Right. No, you're right. They can all have a material component pouch, um, which I think not a lot of people use. I think it can be cool flavor-wise. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'd, I'd like somebody to start using a component pouch. But uh, yeah, I just I thought it was a little bit weird. I, I think a lot of times I think of a bard and like, okay, they, they use their instrument to cast. And like one of the things for College of Swords is that you can use your sword as your spellcasting focus. But like at the end of the right. day, you just don't need anything really um i guess having your sword would kind of be nice because then you don't need a free hand then would you exactly so i i would think college of swords fits really well paladin Mm -hmm. go the dueling one so you have a one-handed weapon you get the dueling fighting style college of swords and a shield yep and then since you're college of swords you could use the sword as a spell casting focus so you don't need to worry about taking warcaster or having to drop a weapon or something like that yeah no actually i really really liked college of swords uh with the paladin because it i'm currently going paladin fighter uh for all of the the battle master techniques or mm-hmm. whatever they're called um but college of swords kind of gets that as well um it's a little bit more limited because it's tied to their bardic inspiration which they only get up to their charisma modifier per short rest which is still a lot long um, rest at the beginning short rest starting at level five correct um so i mean you're kind of splitting uh, a resource into helping out your friends and helping out yourself, which isn't great. But uh, I mean, the blade flourishes are all really, really good. 
go up with your bardic inspiration. So that's another one worth like, if you just dip into Paladin and the rest you go into Bard, you're now a full spellcaster with smites, with blade flourishes, and just a whole bunch of options in combat, which I always really like. And, and even better healing. Paladins are like pretty all right with healing. They get cure wounds and they get lay on hands, which is good. Right. But I mean, bards, you can get all them cure wounds, all the healing spirit. What other dumb healing spells did you take, Will? Basically all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that actually, what, <laughs> kind of an interesting thought is with magical secrets, you could use the bard magical secrets to get paladin spells earlier. Right. No, totally. Like, like you took Aura of Vitality when you just remade a new character. It's level 10 bard, right? Level 11. Well, 10 bard, one warlock. Yes, 10 yeah. bard, one warlock. Yeah, but anyways, it's... Yeah. um, And you took Aura of Vitality, which paladins don't get until like... That's a third level spell, right? I should have looked this up beforehand. I want to say ninth level, but which is pretty late. What is... I'm sorry, what was the... Aura of Vitality. That's the one where... Oh, they get it at level 9, Yeah, for, which a, for a minute each round, you could heal someone for 2d6. Right. So if you do it out of combat, it's 20d6 of healing. You could spread about. Yeah, that would be level 5... Or sorry, level 9 for Paladins, but it's a 5th level spell. Right. If it's no, at it's level 9. What? Nope, 3rd. Third. Third okay, level. so then... Paladins get 5th at level 17. Oh, oh, no, you're, you're half right. You're right. Yep, sorry. Half so what we're, what we're trying to get to, though, is that this... The ability for bards to pluck spells out of half caster lists is really just like dunking the shit out of them. Right. Like, just like level 10 is like, oh, I'm going to take your basically your capstone spell as a paladin or a ranger. And that's really, really nice, especially if you're doing this combination, because what are you losing out if you don't continue down the path of paladin? Right. I mean, you're, you're losing out on your lay on hands pool. Right. And you're losing out on your auras. Yeah, which are good. Like that level six paladin ability is amazing. Yeah, yeah, totally. That, that's agree. hard to pass up on. That's, that's the one where you could you could add your charisma modifier to your saving throw, and anyone within ten feet of you, any ally within ten feet of you, could do the same. Yeah, which, which is fantastic. Is really nice, but I mean, bards still get a lot of like help your buds out oh, spells yeah, and sure. abilities. I mean, you can give your uh, your bardic inspiration die, and that lets you add. I mean, at that let's just say a d8 i don't know on average around the levels you probably play at um to somebody's saving throws to all their other stuff it's not you know plus four every single time for everybody but you can still do something with it right i, I feel like you're not missing out to the full extent like if you were going an entirely different class and you know like we we keep bringing up the spell casting and i can't get over the fact that like at ninth level if you went three paladin and six bard you would get access to fourth level spells because at that point you'd be considered a seventh level caster because it's, it's well you would have fourth level spell slots. Correct. Correct. And then you'd be able to smite at that level. Oh yes. So at, at, at a much earlier level, you can get access to these fourth level smites, which are again, (laughs) really, really powerful at only ninth level. Yeah. Where generally speaking, that takes a paladin up to, uh, I don't, I don't even know. I think it's, 12th maybe yeah i think about 12th level 13 they get, they get one fourth level spot four levels early they can get a higher level smite and quickly get more of them oh yeah i mean that's that's so good that's the biggest limitation of paladins is that they can't smite every single time right take that out now you're just a a really good bard with a really good smite right and then uh, proficiency in all simple and martial weapons, medium armor, and shields. Mm-hmm. So a, an interesting way to play that if you go dip into Bard and your College of Swords. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the intent of College of Swords is one-handed or dual-wielding because it gives you proficiency with the Simtar. 
scimitar, right. whatever. But in theory, you could do it with a great sword, a maul, a great axe, anything like that. There's nothing mechanically that stops you. It doesn't say it has to be a one-handed weapon or anything like that. It just doesn't give you the proficiency, right? That's what you're saying? Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, bards do not get proficiency in that, but then they get it from Paladin. You would be losing out on the College of Swords fighting style because mm-hmm. it's either you either get to pick dueling, which gives you plus two damage per hit when it's a one-handed melee weapon, or two-weapon fighting where if you're dual-wielding, you get to do something a little special with the extra one. Um, hmm. but oh, add your ability modifier to damage of the second one. So that's a bit of a waste. That's a pretty hard trade-off, in my opinion. Yeah. I feel like even dueling... But then, but then go ahead. Pick up the mole. Now what? you're rolling D12s. The mole is a D12? Or is that the battle axe? There's uh, multiples. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. I, either way, one of them... Great that's a D12. Sword is the only one with two D6. That's why yeah. everyone always takes it. Right. I mean, yeah. But... Because it's technically better. Oh, shut up. <laughs> D12s are better than you. <laughs> yeah, so D12s... We love D12s days. here. Oh, and then your bardic inspiration when it comes to D12s. Oh, High-level bards, man. High-level yeah. bard paladin. So just D12s for, for days. So I like that idea of... So it's the bard in medium armor. They're probably maybe... I guess it would have to be strength-based. Hmm. And I'm picturing kind of the more like nimble dexterous of that's kind of the flavor of college's swords and the sword blade flourishes, but they're doing with like a giant great sword or a maul or something like that. That actually does. But you would still have to focus on strength. That's where this falls apart just a little is the fact that paladins are generally using their strength. They have to have at least 13. This makes it a little bit mad, uh, but you could still get strength up to 13. Your charisma should probably be your focus. And then decks can be pretty good too um it doesn't need to be though especially so paladin is going to give you proficiency in medium armor if you don't start with it if you do start with it you get proficiency in heavy armor mm-hmm. so dex becomes less important true you could yeah. absolutely be a strength-based bard yeah it doesn't it doesn't require it's not it's not dex. the trope it's not common but oh, or you man. could just be a charisma based bard and right. take shillelagh oh yeah oh Actually, Wait, no. no, that uses your wisdom regardless. That's that's a druid only cantrip. Yeah, you can steal it as a bard. Can they steal cantrips? I, I don't so, think yes. so. Well, yeah, regardless, that sound right. again, that's going to be your wisdom, which I'm not going to throw another stat in there. No, yet. no, it's your spellcasting ability. Yeah, it's your spell it is. Okay. Hmm. I'm looking at man. I think it's first level or higher. Tenth level. Choose two spells mm-hmm. from any classes, including this one. A spell you choose must be of a level you can choose. Oh, or a cantrip. Okay. So a lot of people don't do this because you see it like, oh, I get a powerful spell. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple cantrips that are sitting out there that are kind of hard to pass up. Shillelagh, if you want to avoid the attribute dependence. Uh, Eldritch Blast, if you just want to Eldritch Blast stuff. Yeah, Those yeah. are like the two that really come up a <laughs> And Shillelagh is a cantrip where you need to be holding a quarterstaff or a club and you imbue with magic. Right. And now you could use your spell casting ability, the one that you use to cast Shillelagh, as the plus attack into the damage of... Can you use like a quarterstaff in your College of Swords or College of Blades kind of thing? The blurred blade flourishes? I think it just says melee. Yeah, I, which is I'm pretty sure that's how this. it is, like all the way around. Anytime they say, "Oh, you took the pack to the blade," all right, I make a warhammer. It's oh, even, you can't do that. Yeah, whenever this is you, the pack to the blade, no, they don't care. It's even better than that. It's just a weapon attack. It doesn't even have to be a melee weapon attack. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so you do it with like a longbow. So you can't smite off of that because a no. paladin does specify a melee weapon attack. But yeah, you're you're not very limited there, which is nice. Yeah, that's interesting. Do with like a longbow or something. Yeah. I say, then you get, I mean, all three of the bard blade flourishes for College of Swords are are great. I mean, defensive flourish, you get to add your AC uh, as your 
You roll your Bardic Inspiration die on a hit. You add that number to your AC until the start of your turn. Pretty good if you're up in the shit. Slashing Flourish, you just can hit somebody next to you. Probably not going to use that one too much, but, you know, that's that's something. Does that one not say melee weapon? Uh, you can spend one use of your Bardic Inspiration to cause the weapon to deal extra damage to the target you hit and any other creature of your choice they can see within five feet. It does not specify That's that. weird. Yeah. What the hell? That's five feet of you. Mm, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, yes. it is. <laughs> but not five feet of the original target? Correct. So when if you're like... You're standing there, there's a target five feet from you, and somebody's 30 feet, and you sh- I know you'd have disadvantage, but then you shoot them with the longbow. Right. Could you then add slashing floor? Yeah, see, <laughs> you're obviously not thinking about this right, Kevin, because what you're going to do is you're going to draw the arrow out of your quiver, uh, pull back on your longbow, and then slash the throat of the guy next to you, and then shoot. <laughs> I was thinking of just, like, like you, bouncing like, it off it his helmet. Aim, just like, yeah. Whoosh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even drag maybe, it across them. Maybe even while you're pulling it out of your quiver, you just kind of, like, sidearm it, like, right across them, and then pull it let go i mean okay i can see that that's all i I've mean got. It's, it's a little silly but <laughs> it's pretty silly that's on the dm every single round to figure out what the hell you just did i would honestly probably just start flavoring it as like you just kind of have a dagger that you pull up and you're like Kah! yeah hit him real quick yeah um, yeah all it says if it's a weapon attack that you make as part of the attack as part of this action hits a creature you can use the following blade flourishes options of your choice that, yeah, there's nothing about melee or... It's the same thing with Battlemaster. I was telling you about this the other day out of podcast. Um, you can use the trip attack uh, with a longbow as a Battlemaster. It doesn't specify a melee weapon attack. It's just when you hit with an attack. So you use a longbow and you can shoot a flying creature and that officially trips them, which would then make them prone and it makes them fall. That's totally Weird. rules as written. <laughs> Eh, it, that actually makes sense minus the wording again you know all the, it's like because it's called uh, the blade flourish or because it's called a trip attack you think that's stupid as hell but right you shoot it in the wing now it falls no I, oh yeah i totally agree i think there's ways to flavor it it's just obviously not the intention of it but they're also not gonna they haven't shied away from it like it's like yeah okay that that works that's how the rules are set up so it's fine but that one's just it's weird but it works so now my paladin needs to find a longbow just to shoot flying creatures every <laughs> once in a while. You know how often those come up underground. Right. <laughs> how much dex do you have? Zero. It's right. it's just ten. So yeah. not going to be hitting very often. No. But yeah. So we've been doing a lot of talk of bards picking up a couple levels of paladin. The other way around is still pretty solid. Uh, if you're mainly a paladin, a couple levels of bard. Still gets you some really good stuff. You get your bardic inspiration, jack of all trades. So anything you're not proficient in, half your proficiency bonus is added to anyways. And that includes um, initiative rolls, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Expertise at third level, and you could get your first college feature. So you could go like lower bard, and then you get three additional skill proficiencies, plus then cutting words where you could use your bardic inspiration to subtract from an attack roll and or ability checks and stuff like that. I think actually one of the best parts of this, and that this wouldn't be with the lore bard, it'd be with all of the ones we've already talked about, like College of Swords. Right. But you can actually get up to level five, where usually there's a bit of a power tick up, uh, like bards would get third level spells at level five, mm-hmm. without that fear of ramification of when you go into a, another melee class that has that extra attack at fifth level. Oh, yeah. So you're still getting that like power bump. You can go all the way up to fifth instead of... You know, up to a six, where usually that's nothing too crazy. That's not like a, a really big milestone level. Right. But I mean, that that basically doesn't block you anywhere. This is actually one where you might be able to get away with a 10-10. 
uh, I can like see a, that, like a yeah. pretty even split, and you're just good. The only thing you have to worry about is not getting that extra attack as a paladin, because losing out on that it always sucks. Right. Yeah. And then you also, yeah, also a paladin dipping into bard will boost your spell casting right away. Your your spell slot progression will immediately go up faster. Right. Because you're now a full caster, so it go jumps a whole level instead of basically. It's the a half level equivalent of taking two levels in paladin spell casting wise. Right. Pretty so pretty much. Weird way to think about it, but yeah, you know, your your third level, you take one level in bard. It's you now have the spell casting slots of a fifth level. Well, no, I guess it doesn't. Fifth level paladin. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that's always good. Right. Just tacking on more spells, which as we said, like for paladins, that's great. That's their biggest limitation. Right. And then so there's some decent low level bard spells as well. Vicious Mockery, Dissonant Whispers, Fairy Fire, Healing Words, Sleep, Tasha's Hideous Laughter, Blindness, Deafness, Heat Metal, um, going to the second level. I think I already did. I don't quite remember. But then like Hold Person, Invisibility, Suggestion, Fear, Hypnotic Pattern for third, if you're going that high. Yeah. I would definitely some good focus, stuff there. If I was doing that, I would... Definitely, definitely focus on spells that are concentration, as there's not many paladin spells that are concentration, uh, as well as bonus action spells, because paladins don't have much to do with their bonus action, unless you're going into bard, in which case you've got your your bardic inspiration. Right. But two ones to to definitely think about. You don't want to have the spells that are kind of quick throwaway ones, or even really worry about cantrips, most likely. You're not going to be using, uh, what is it, Vicious Mockery is the, the cantrip? It's not going to be that worth it. It's a D4, and it gives him disadvantage on the next attack. That's not your role. 2D4. It goes up to 2D4 at 5th, 3D4 <laughs> at 11th. Right. That's not your I, role. That's true. You're, if, you're, if you're a paladin, you're probably better off hitting up and smiting. Right, right. Than giving them disadvantage. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, if you start off the, the combat with a fairy fire, now everybody, you and everybody else, has advantage on your uh, your attacks for... A, right. a while i mean that's till your concentration great. breaks till your concentration breaks so that's why you should get warcaster of course then you're looking at a now you're like this is uh, we've already decided this is not completely single attribute dependent so just jumping into warcaster feats as a paladin yeah it's gonna be tough that's a hard to justify yeah. so that's why i'm like wondering these concentration spells which are off the chain for a bard I don't really, I don't really see the paladin as being the perfect fit to be casting hypnotic pattern. Okay, no, that's fair. Um, But they should stick to what they do best. Just hit stuff, man. Just hit stuff. Whole person and then hit stuff. (laughs) And also just being able to uh, use your bonus action. Then I mean that's that would be the best thing. They have bonus action spells like healing word. Uh, That's going to be really useful. Yeah, healing word being it's a one d four healing spell, but it's a thirty foot range. Where all the other ones are pretty much touch, mm-hmm. so which is very nice because it, it's great if someone goes down from thirty feet away, you could get them back up if they hit zero as a bonus action. Again, yeah, oh yeah, bonus action cast. Yeah. Thirty feet away. I mean, the the D four becomes like just kind of bonus because you're like, all right, I've got a charisma modifier of plus four, so you're getting four health back. You're coming back up, and here's an extra two health. Right. You know, yeah. That, the big thing is, is like they're in death saving throws and unstable. It's like, all right, you're now awake. And could stand up and run away or heal yourself or get back or do do whatever. Cast right. a spell. <laughs> it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. I got you up. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Or if like cure wounds, you have to run up and touch them. And all it's a D4 to D8. That's an extra few hit points. Right. Just, On average, what, two more hit right. points? Right. And it's your full action. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I um actually will you you your cleric using healing words all the time and out of the abyss changed my opinion on it. Made me realize, holy shit, this is actually really good. I used to not get it. It's like, oh, it's a D four. Rest in peace, saucy. Yeah. Rest in peace, saucy. But <laughs> saucy died last last uh, two two, two ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, he lost it. We lost a character on the brink of eleventh level. Oh, it still hurts. Yes, it's been um, months. But rolls are disintegrate, Ray. What I will say about this, and I did learn. I also enforced this on myself when I like read. I was like, why is this so good? And then I played saucy, and we all started saying, oh yeah. And I'm not entirely sold on liking the reason it's good because it creates that yo-yo combat. Yep. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're down. Now you're not. Now you're not. It's like, <laughs> there's no accumulation. You just stand back up and get in the fight. I hear you. And I've tried to tackle that problem in previous campaigns where it became like, it felt impossible to kill you guys where you kept your death saving throws until a long rest. We've done away with that since, which is fair. That's one way to tackle it. Probably not the best in my opinion. Even then it still doesn't fully do it. If the healing word is popping off before they even roll. You're right. I think the best way to do it and to handle it as a DM is to not do that thing where you make an attack and it gets them down and you go, well, they're unconscious. Don't care about them anymore. You go, you're unconscious. Sounds like a really easy kill. You continue that multi-attack. You continue ganging up on them. You make it feel like, okay, you got to get this healing word off right the fuck now. And you need it to be like your focus. So, you know, maybe right. it's, there's there's other ways to go about it, really. Yeah. It's really great. There's no arguing that. But there are ways to counter it as a DM. Yeah, it does burn a spell slot. It burns a spell Keep slot, that in which mind. is always I mean, good. Which is, yeah, using up resources. And they're up for a round. I mean, seriously, if the initiative isn't in your favor, you can even just get them up. And then before their turn even goes, you have another enemy go and they're like, whoa, why did this guy get back up and dunk? Just, you know, get them right back down. And then maybe they're they're frustrated. So they're like, I'm just going to keep attacking you. You know, there's there's ways to make it less amazing. Yo-yo combat is in a way a problem, but it's only a problem. uh, I feel like if the DM just kind of lets it be one. Yeah, but you really do have to be careful because all yeah. these counters are also a great way to absolutely annihilate every single one of your players. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I accidentally crit and you're on the ground and oh, now you're just not alive anymore. Well, maybe they shouldn't have gone down in the first place. <laughs> I mean, to be completely honest, yeah, that's, right. that's the threat of going down, right? Right. I well, mean, how what's you... the alternative? It's taking a bad idea, like a bad approach to healing. If you're spending your entire combat trying to keep your party in good health, you're honestly wasting your turn nine times out of ten. So, you know, that's you can't be too mean if they avoid that because it doesn't mechanically work out that well. Uh, you can, though. You oh, totally yeah, can because can. now you're changing it the other way where you're saying you said right there it is me- more mechanically viable to yo-yo somebody than to heal them beforehand. Well, if you change your DM mentality to fuck you, you're on the ground and I'm going to kill you. Now it's a lot more mechanically viable to waste that turn and keep them from but going a down healing the healing word's place. not going to do it. Healing, healing word's, word's not, not going to do it. You're going to have to run up and do cure wounds. But which even is still, that's probably not going to do help. it beyond like third level. The damage is too high. Yeah, it's a damage way outpaces healing. Yeah, you can kind of bait people into taking a less yo-yo approach. But right. it is just kind of the way the game is a little bit structured. That's fair. But I, I think there's ways to mitigate it, at least. And there's one thing to note. Um, it, this is the kind of game where uh, a lot of parties, I would say almost maybe even the majority, do not have someone who has much healing at all. Right. You have to balance the game for a party of four warlocks, you know. Technically, <laughs> technically yeah. you do. Right. 
Because they can show up to your table. So, you know, you can't... The game is not dependent on any kind of healing strategy. Four but, warlocks yeah. show up to your yeah. table and you're like, did you guys not talk about your classes at all? And they're like, no, we did. Yeah, we're <laughs> so pumped. So you're all... No, all Hexblades. <laughs> not even a Celestial. Okay, all right, let's go. No, we heal stuff, or we heal ourselves by killing stuff. So it's really just going to be a fight for who gets the kill. Shit. Uh, <laughs> one of my characters actually had a lot of success with that. That was Rin had... Yeah, uh, black razor and another feature she was using before that. Yeah, if I, I was like running to, out of health, I just killed something. I would just like to say a nerfed black razor yeah. before anybody <laughs> comes knocking on my door yeah. about that. An yeah. extremely nerfed black razor, but still black razor. <laughs> There's nothing unbalanced about killing a frost giant and having 180 temporary hit points for the next two days. <laughs> for people unfamiliar with black razor, uh, one of its main features is that it's it's a plus three sword. Uh, it's usually the it's like, an artifact. It's a sen- sentient magic weapon. It's considered one of the most powerful around. It's been in D anD D for a very long, very time. long time, and not just fifth edition. You're correct. And when you kill something with it in fifth edition, you get that thing's max HP in temp HP. And as long as you have that temp HP, you have advantage on everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> quite literally. <laughs> so, like, could you imagine having that and like all of your your everybody's around and they're like, oh, we're about to kill this, you know, this frost giant. And you're just like, if any of you fucking touch that. <laughs> you're going into the temporary. <laughs> and that was, that was actually the perfect campaign for it to be too overpowered because all those giants were mm-hmm. just meat sponges. So yeah. one kill and I ruined a dungeon. Yeah. But you ruined it. Yes, I did. All right. To get kind of metagame me with it, is it kill or drop to zero? You get it. Uh, I think it's kill because Black Razor is like... If you drop to zero with Black Razor, you instantly die. And no, you like, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it eats okay. their soul. That was the entire... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Because right. I was going to say, <laughs> like, PCs get saving throws. Technically speaking, monsters and enemies can. Yeah. You, they're usually hand-waved away. But absolutely, you could do that. And there's situations where you should. So what happens there? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. So, all right. I was going to say, if, if it's just dropped to zero, you could really kind of cheese that after a fight if uh, you're barbarian with 170 health is low just slice them fall to zero 170 hit points to you healing words to them long rest you're good to go <laughs> <laughs> that is frustrating yes um so but if it immediately work, kills them yes. yeah and if it eats their soul you can't res them so yeah. never, never mind <laughs> don't right? kill things no. that you don't want dead with yes <laughs> yes 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 no that's it's like big thing is it it eats souls it's Pretty cool. Just don't give it to a PC. No. Give well, it to, no, it is a PC weapon, man. No, PC give it to weapon. give it to your big bad evil guy and warn everybody that if you go down to zero, that's how you make healing word obsolete entirely. <laughs> 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 yeah, what's the big bad evil guy do? If he drops you to zero, you're dead. Yeah. Okay, we're not going to yo-yo today. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's like disintegrate and various <laughs> things. Um, a lot of vampire type attacks. And right. Which we'll actually probably get to later in. Yeah, so there's yeah. there's a lot of ways. This has turned into the the healing word episode, but I mean, there's a lot of ways to make healing word less powerful. And I'm not saying it's extremely important to do that, but it's important to recognize that as a DM, it is your job to at least slightly counter any cheese or yeah, count yeah, just any time your your PCs are uh, exploiting something. There's usually a way you can get around it to an extent. You don't need to completely shut it down every single fight, but when it's go time, it's go time. That's it. Right. And that's why Saucy's dead. And that's why Saucy's dead. Because <laughs> Kevin brought out the big guns, which was a beholder. Or Wizards of the Coast did, and he followed it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I just rolled the dice. <laughs> all right, bud. <laughs> Took me like three hours to learn all these damn bard spells. 
<laughs> and you're pretty against Bards, too. I'm surprised you wound up with that. I did it as an insult to Kevin, because Kevin's always like, Bards are mechanically great, and they're fun to play. And how do you feel after your first session is playing a Bard? Oh, actually, they're mechanically pretty great, and they're fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm having a great time. (laughs) (laughs) Told you. So let's see. Back to the Paladin Bard. It's been a minute. Any more role-playing wise? I think mechanically it's just there's actually before we even get into role-playing, let's just say, are there any specific traps in this? Any ways that if you go down, you're like really wasting your levels? College of Valor. I think um, Valor is a huge waste of everyone's time. Like, uh, it's the, not that great. The, they get the bonus proficiencies of medium armor, shields, and martial weapons. Paladins are going to get that anyways. And then the other third level ability of combat inspiration. I don't think that's great. You could use your bardic inspiration to add it to uh, weapon damage or an attack roll. It's too, which I think is very limited when comparing to avoiding a monster's attack, which are almost always more devastating than an individual PC attack. Yeah. Or, yeah. So add da- eight damage, up to eight damage, or, you know, potentially avoid 50. Right. That's really your trade off. Yes. Well, for, for what it's worth, and this isn't much, but um, one of the additional things is that you can use it to add to your AC. Like I a PC can decide to say, okay, that hits. And it's basically like a shield with a Bardic Inspiration die. Right. But sadly, it's, it's not even until your next turn, it's just against that attack. They can use their Bardic Inspiration die. So College of Lore with Cutting Words does the same thing. Different way mechanically. It lowers their attack versus bumping your AC, but it's a reaction. You can pick right. one to do it. Right. Though that makes you more limited. You get one reaction around. True. This one, it's like, so you give someone Bardic Inspiration, and now in addition to what they could add to it before, they could do it to their damage or to their AC. Yeah. I, I don't hate college of valor but compared to college of swords i definitely don't love it they they really did kind of ruin college of valor because there's just not much you're getting compared to either multi-classing or going college of blades right i say when all there there was for bards was the player handbook and lore or valor it made sense do you want to be the spell bard or the more combat focused bard right now if you like swords in the mix it just kind of feels inferior Mm -hmm. totally agree other than that i don't know uh there's not really any traps in the Paladins. All their oaths. Yeah, they're all solid. Pretty good. They're fine. Besides, uh, isn't there one that we don't like? I'm trying to remember. I don't like any of them, man. They're <laughs> all edgy. You, you're just going to keep saying that until you play a Paladin. Then you're like, wow, Paladins are actually mechanically viable and really fun to play. Well, they're definitely mechanically viable and yeah. fun to play. I just find them <laughs> obnoxious. <laughs> oh, I did 120 damage and I'm level three. <laughs> no, stop. Just stop, man. <laughs> How many times have I saved your ass because of that? Uh, not enough, apparently. Yeah, one time too few, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, and uh, I, that's just because the the Beholder layer was set up to make it very hard to reach him. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't the case, if you were able to just get up and fight him. Three-turn fight. Yeah, that would have been over so quick. Yep. That's, paladins are scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, actually, I just a tangent, but I did read up on Beholders and... <laughs> They have shit stats. The idea is they just like run away and try to yeah. irate you all day. Yeah, they, they fight you on their terms. They draw you into their lair, which is perfectly built for them. Like in this case, and out of the abyss, you're in this, it's this uh, kind of cavern, 500 feet and it's suspended in the air on rope bridges. 
And then the ceiling's like another 40 feet from the top one. And the beholder just has fly speed. And so they just hover. So they fly around and stay way above everything and use telekinesis to just drop people down 500 feet and disintegrate the bridges. And it's perfectly suited for them. That's such fucking bullshit. I know. It was great. (laughs) And then they have their layer action where if, so if they fall 500 feet down and they're out of, at, at the level you're fighting a beholder that's 20d6 there's a decent chance you'll survive that fall and now you're out of range of the beholder's eyes well they have their layer action where anywhere in the layer they can have a magic eye pop up and then shoot an eye ray out of it so just do that on the down at the bottom and still fuck with those people every round 20 and <laughs> i'm so ready to not fight a beholder for another year or two no yeah. next time we just gotta get the jump on him we tried no it doesn't work we gotta invite <laughs> yeah. him to a party it's or hard something. to get oh. the jump on a beholder no you invite him somewhere We're yeah. like, oh dude there's a crazy party he shows up like oh i brought some milwaukee's best oh god and then you just jump on him and just stick on the meatball <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's ways around it uh maybe one day we'll have a beholder uh, monster of the week uh, yeah now we should yeah yeah and actually, um, that one interesting. It's another thing that adds with it is they generally have minions. This particular one, he had one strong minion. It was it was the mage stat block essentially, which is challenge rating six. But interesting enough, the beholder's layer completely fucked up his ability to be helpful at all. Well, not his layer; it was his eyes. The the, the, cone? the, the anti magic cone. I thought that's what yeah. Oh there. yeah, yeah. Okay, that which was also designed. His layer was designed around full use of the anti magic cone because right. he could get almost. All of it in there if he positions himself right. Right. So, so you have yeah. a beholder who's standing off in the corner and they're like, Minion, help me. And then they're just looking right at everything. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. I'm a spellcaster. Please look away. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Why didn't I get a fighter? And then all the bridges, though, because even when he was not in the anti magic cone, he was out of range of doing anything else. So he had to waste a bunch of time climbing the bridges and. Basically, Beholder Minions should be... So this is a mini Monster of the Week. Just a little tip. <laughs> beholder Minions should be melee-focused. No! Or, you would have killed more people! They should be martial-focused. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're kind of worthless if they're magic users. Anyways, we're not talking about Beholders. I have nothing else on Paladin Bard. Bard Paladin. We need to come up with a name, though. Uh, we're also at almost 50 minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, Barladin? Barladin. I like Barladin. Sounds kind of like charlatan. Yeah, like it, it does. Yeah. It's almost too good then. It is, yeah. Um, pard. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Get any better, Will? No, I like the pard. Okay, yeah. pard it is. I was going to go with Pollard, but I just, I just like pard. Yeah. Pard. <laughs> Simple to the point yeah. and dumb as hell. Yes. All right, pard it is. All right. Um, cool. Then uh, let's move on to our monster of the week right after a word from our sponsor. Us. We're our own sponsor. We don't have sponsors. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Follow us on Twitter. Um, More importantly, we have a website now. There was oh, like a yeah! soft announcement on it, like buried and other stuff. Yeah. Yes, we officially have a Monsters and Multiclass website. Monstersandmulticlass.com. Yeah. I had Spell to pay, out the and. Pay some dude like $50 just to get that i didn't you still owe me fifty dollars <laughs> that's, that's so all, right. all our podcasts are launched on there and the plan <laughs> is to do articles and stuff um jared just started dming a brand new campaign fully homebrewed i guess you could talk about it. it's your thing uh, that's i mean that's the long and short of it i'm just doing a, a campaign diary um which i feel like i've seen before somewhere i don't know uh basically just going through my dming choices and what i did right what i did wrong hopefully i can learn from it hopefully you can learn from it um it's going to be wordy it's going to be grammatically incorrect and (laughs) i don't have enough time to have somebody edit it or edit it myself so uh i'm not perfect but it's really fun (laughs) 
oh shit, I'm supposed to talk about things that are good, aren't I? Say like good <laughs> things about it. Um, oh man, just be real. It's good. I'm I'm only good at being real, guys. So that's that's it. Just being real. Oh. This has gone on too long. Yeah. Um, uh, and we're. We don't have like concrete release schedules for articles, but writing other articles on talking about game com- game concepts, maybe do some more detailed multi-class guides. Whereas right here, this is kind of just a general open discussion. Actually start like dealing down numbers and what we do per levels and just stuff like that. Yep. And I think uh, Will said he's going to do a entirely revamped spell guide, right? You're going to take that on? single <laughs> spell. So I'm sure we might do, not ever do that. But. Yeah, I was going to say, do you really want to put that out there, Will? You want to commit to that? Sing- I'm actually just going to remind people that Contagion's no longer like a top-level gold spell. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> um, but beyond that, yeah. So website, monstersandmulticlass.com. Twitter, monsters underscore multi. Follow us there. Review us on various things. Yep. And also, we're now bi-weekly. Yes. And not the twice a week kind of bi-weekly. The other, every other week bi-weekly. If you don't see us next week, that's why. Yeah. I know we said that a few other places, just in case anyone missed it. It's, uh, It's starting to get difficult to keep up with the weekly with keeping the quality of this that we want. So do it every two weeks and... So we're going to double the quality of every episode. We promise. Yeah. I would say that's putting a lot of pressure on it. But no, I say we're going to maintain the quality. Oh, I was worried it was going to start slacking. Oh, okay. Cause I feel like somebody's going to be listening right now and they're like, this episode was shit. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is what I get. And every other week, uh, no, the concern was having to start rushing things and not having time to prepare. And it was kind of getting dominating things. And I have a kid on the way and blah, 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 a million excuses. We're bi-weekly now. We're not ending anything. It just, Shouldn't be a big difference. But. Right. So you can fill your time with our website. There you go. Cool. All right. That was whew, that was, that a, was long. a long one. Sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I dragged it on. You dragged yeah. it on. We're all we, awful We do this. that. Yeah. <laughs> We're just kind of rambly messes sometimes. <laughs> I'm completely innocent. <laughs> all right. Now let's move on into our monster of the week. This week's monster is the horror movie classic, The Vampire. D&D's take on The Vampire Definitely harkens back to the classic mythology, Dracula, uh, Nosferatu. Everything essentially lines up with your movie version of this creature. Twilight? Nah, (laughs) no. (laughs) But now with a role-playing twist and a stat block to throw at your players. The uh, vampire also has a secondary monster associated, and that would be its spawn. And its spawn has an interesting uh, little twist to our monster of the week. This is something your player could theoretically be. So let's get into it. How do you guys feel about the vampire? Well, I mean, our main experience with the vampire in D&D that I can think of is Curse of Strahd. We almost played it, uh, or at least most of the way played it. But I don't think we ever really got to do much of the vampire stuff. I think besides that, you guys fought a vampire once in Undermountain? That was like just a, a room that just had a vampire. I actually don't have that much combat experience with vampires. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Is the uh, the Strahd campaign, which didn't really go off the ground much. The idea is to create your vampire as a thing that is always two steps ahead of your player. So when we went to Undermountain, you know, it's not that hard to stomp guy in a room with a bite attack. Right. And you, looking at the stat block, we've got a challenge rating 13 monster. With nothing out of the ordinary. There's nothing that's going to ruin a party, except for a couple of abilities that might take him out of the fight. And it's, 
Yeah. If you put it in a blank white room and throw your party at it, it's probably going to get stomped. Right. So that's my interaction with it. Don't don't use it as a stat block. That's dumb. <laughs> yeah. It, so the vampires really, and its stat block is absolutely huge. It probably has one of the most amount of traits out of any monster, which adds some really interesting things. But so it's challenge rating 13, 144 health and 16 armor class. That's going to go quick. Its attacks are not strong at all. Unarmed Strike, which deals 1d8 plus 4 bludgeoning damage. And then you, you could grapple them. And then a Bite Attack, which is 1d6 plus 4. Plus 3d6 Necrotic. So that adds up a bit more. So we're talking like 17 average damage there. which But that also requires them to be grappled. Right. Yeah, they have to be grappled to or do it. Or willing. Yeah, and then it does lower their max, max HP, which is interesting. But at, again, a challenge rating 13, that's nothing really all that crazy. What makes them real interesting are all of their different traits, which could be then used to sort of mess with the party from afar. This almost seems like the type of big bad evil guy or like main boss of an adventure that getting to them is the challenge. Once you get to them, the, that fight's kind of over. To an extent. I mean, they, there is the, the variant, the, the, the spellcaster. There's like a vampire spellcaster that at least makes them get up to level five spells. That can at least add a good amount, or there's even like the melee one. It just bumps it up another two to the challenge rating. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you're keeping it at that that 13 CR, it's nothing too crazy. I mean, it has regeneration, which is really nice, 20 HP at the start of each of its turn. As long as you haven't figured out, it's really, really simple things to get around, which is if it's in sunlight, if there's running water, or if it's taken radiant damage or holy water damage, then it doesn't get its regeneration back. It's a lot of caveats that uh, your party's and, uh, yeah. probably going to know going into a vampire fight. Yeah, and radiant damage is not that hard to come by, especially no. if a paladin or a celestial warlock or a cleric. There's so many. Right. I mean, seriously, you just yeah. you, you get your, your radiant damage for the day, and that's that's that person's job now is make sure that their regeneration's taken away. Right. It is a lot of regeneration. 20 hit points uh, the start of a turn. That That's... Heavy-duty regeneration, I'll give them that. And they do have legendary resistances, which, of course, is nice. And I think uh, part of the reason they put that is it creates this this very... It's a very mortal creature, but it can very much seem immortal if you don't know the secret. That's always been the suspense of the vampire mythos, is finding out the secret of the vampire. It's not... How can I lift enough weights to be stronger than Dracula? It's right. How can I sneak up and stab him in the chest? Right, right, right. But right. nowadays, everyone knows the secrets. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's not a puzzle anymore. It's... I mean, that, I guess, makes me wonder, uh, if you were running a campaign that used vampires, would you let everyone know what a vampire is? Would everybody just know that inherently? No. So that's where we get in that kind of awkward thing. Um, where, like a troll. That's always my classic yeah, example. Yeah, where it's if a troll regenerates unless it takes fire damage. Most players know that if they've played D&D a little bit, at least. Yeah, would a character know that? It's easy to say, no, 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 you wouldn't. Why would you do fire damage? You wouldn't know that. It's like, well, I, I always attack with fireballs. So you're telling me I have to now play differently? Or Yes, cast Ice Knife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it almost like puts you at a penalty for having out of game knowledge because now you have to act in these odd, odd, erratic ways, purposely avoiding fire to not be a meta gamer. Right. Which is I don't really like because then if you truly don't know, there's like fire damage is a common thing that people do. There's a really decent chance they're just going to luck into it very early on. Right. So like, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think we've had this exact discussion way, way early on in this podcast. 
It's and a discussion worth having almost every single time, yeah. though, because this is this isn't a troll. A troll is a pretty common pest and very dangerous thing that people know about. The city guard will have dealt with it in your town at least once. Right. That's the idea. Right. Dracula is not a thing in Faerun. Yeah, you know, there's there's no like, there's no very epic tome. Everybody's read and seen the movies about at least that I know. Strahd, Strahd is Strahd isn't known even outside. Like, Curse of Strahd really fleshes it out and makes Barovia this like secluded magical land. But the legend of Strahd and there's a little sidebar in it in the Monster Manual. It, it's spoken like this is like a known legend. He the first vampire and how it came about and all that. But right. yeah, no, I've actually I specifically went on my way to start reading Strahd to kind of prepare for this and. So an interesting thing they did with that campaign is they put mechanics and bullet points and talking points about every single one of these things about Strahd. You are supposed to be able to find every single thing about Strahd out from talking to people normally. Oh, okay. So they do, they make it clear that you should not be going into this fight thinking, oh yeah, I'm just going to cast Toll of the Dead on him, obviously. Right, right. It's like, <laughs> why is that not working? It's a D12. It's, well, he's immune to necrotic damage. You should probably switch over, man. Actually, these vampires aren't, though. His, uh, they have no immunities. Oh, they're resistant. Resistant. To okay. So in addition to not triggering his regeneration break, that's going to be a really huge waste of everyone's time. Right. So you are supposed to go in these fights pretty well known. The legends are out there. You can get them, but I wouldn't say a party would walk into this knowing, oh, yeah, we just got to push him in a river. So I think then what I would say is it really just depends on how you're trying to run this fight. If you're using it where it's like an arc in your campaign where over the next uh, five or six sessions you are building up to a vampire fight, I would say, no, you guys don't really know that much about vampires. Unless you roll really well on a history check, in which case I give you one of these bits of information. But otherwise, I'd make them work for it a little bit. But in the instance of going into Undermountain, walking into a room and getting attacked by a vampire, I'd be like... No, you know all of this stuff. You know, there's there's lore, there's reasons for you to know this. So I guess it, it's kind of a to DN discretion about how you want to run this fight. If it's, this, if it's an arc, if it's a campaign, or if it's just a little one-off thing that you're like, yeah, you're, you're going to know. You know, it, right. So, you know, that is that always does come down to the players to an extent. And it is hard to argue if uh, if you have a cleric whose main thing is every single time they cast Sacred, Sacred Flame, Flame, which is radiant damage you shouldn't tell them no you this time you'd cast toll the dead because you don't know it's like well that's your thing you've done it forever but on the other hand again it comes down to dm discretion so if you have a wizard who always casts what is it ray of frost or something and then they just like start changing it up they don't have any radiant damage that's not going to help they spend their turn throwing a holy water that they ask the cleric to give them and it's like well why do you know that you know you can't just that one might be a little bit more intuitive yeah you know it's such a mixed bag it's like i don't know i didn't like I wouldn't immediately think to push a vampire in a river. But no, that one I actually don't know. That's a new one. That's an old one. Well, yeah. That's the old, old school vampire lore. Yeah, but, but it's not the common one. No. And like, okay, one that um, maybe PCs wouldn't know is you uh, need to invite a vampire in or they, they can't walk inside. You know, like, so that's something that, like, maybe they need to find out. They need to figure that out somehow. Yeah. Um, See, in my mind, that's a common one as well. Like, even modern day, like, depictions of vampires that kind of butcher it still, a lot of them keep that. That's actually probably the most common one in modern depictions because it's great for drama. Right. It's like, oh, you're in your house and I can't do anything. Let me in your house. No. <laughs> then, I, again. I cast charm. 
Son of a bitch. Burn the house down. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with what I said then. It's it's kind of up to DM discretion about how yeah. you want to run this. If it, if it makes sense and it'll be more fun to make the party have to figure it out, then make them have to figure it out. If it's not going to be fun, then don't do it. And don't be, don't be trying to pull one over on your party because, oh, you wouldn't know to cast Sacred Flame here. Right. That's not good either. Right. Speaking of which, though, I do really like the way they looked at it. They made the charm effect for the vampire because it's not the you get to save every turn. It's you are now kind of in the thrall of the vampire. Uh, is that just an action for them? Yes. yes. Okay, so they can do there's no limit there. It's just you can charm. Now, is it a if you succeed on it, you're good for like 24 hours? No, I do not believe. What? Think I don't so. think so. No. no. Oh, yeah, it's a DC 17 wisdom save charmed. For, I think, 24 hours. Yes. Yeah, regards the vampire as a trusted friend to be heeded and protected. It's not under its direct control. It takes the vampire's requests or actions the most favorable way it can. And is also the willing target for the vampire's bite attack. How would you play that where just, like, the vampire wouldn't have to roll an attack for that? Like, if you were within five feet and you were charmed by the vampire, would you just, like, stand there so there's no roll? You just dip it. Yep. Okay. Yeah, each time the vampire or the vampire's companions do anything harmful to the target, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on itself. Otherwise, the effect lasts 24 hours or until the vampire is destroyed on a different plane or takes a bonus action to end it. Okay, so then... Wait, takes a bonus action? If the vampire the vampire it. does. Yeah. I don't know why it would. So then, um, you mentioned this earlier, Will. Uh, how would somebody become a vampire spawn to actually be a, a thrall for the vampire? And so that is how it does it. You mentioned it takes off their max HP doing this bite attack, but that's 10 necrotic damage. That's going to take like a solid minute or so just to take someone out. It's a, uh, no, no, no. It's a little bit more. It's 3d6. Oh, no, you're right. Average 10 plus the um, normal bite. So it's it's 1d6 plus no, 4. No, it's just the necrotic damage, though. It is, if, yeah. Oh, the necrotic the, damage reduces we're talking their max HP. 10 damage around. You have to take them from max to zero yep. to get them into this. Yep. So the only reasonable way this would ever happen is if your party was level one and decided to throw rocks at a vampire, <laughs> or they were charmed and taken, whisked away, and they're like, oh, yes, of course, Strahd, bite me. And then over the next minute, they go down to zero, he buries them in the backyard, and the next day, they become a vampire spawn. And they've got a player stat block for that, don't they? You're right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If the, if a player becomes a vampire or vampire spawn, they retain everything they have, but then they also gain all of the various vampire traits and actions. And their stats, all the physical stats get bumped up to 18. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which is crazy. So it's actually a little bit uh, like the Elder Scrolls version of vampirism. It's You get really, really, really cool stuff but then some pretty big weaknesses right but i think also the alignment becomes lawful evil i think the important thing is that it says in there that and the dm might just take control of your character yeah so Uh, (laughs) so you might just be kind of like shit out of luck for a little bit there yeah um or just lose your character entirely i mean that's the equivalent of death really is right it's just now it's it's become a new enemy that you have to kill you have to kill your buddy because they're now or try and cure it or trying yeah, to a wish right. spell will end it. Or uh, interesting, actually, which is not not that hard at the higher levels. You kill them and then resurrect them, mm-hmm. and they come back not as a vampire. Yep. No, that's the resurrection spell, correct? Nope. Uh, if the character's killed and brought back to life. Oh, really? That's it. So, so you can do works. a three-level revivify. 
Hmm, interesting. Still makes it a pain in the ass, but, you know, it, that could yeah. be a good fight and a good way to even just have, like, somebody control a usual NPC for a, a session or two. Yeah. Could be one way to do it. And then you get your character back. You're a vampire hunter. Seed. Like, you're getting ambushed and that character, and this happens to that character, and your party is very confused. This, this is not a vampire campaign. No one was right. planning for it. And then this NPC shows up who's been hunting this vampire. And I mean, it's a little tropey, but whatever. It, it could okay. be fun to play out. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, the PC, the player who lost their character gets to play the vampire hunter a bit. I will say that, yeah. um, generally speaking, in D&D, anytime I've ever used a trope as like a DM, I feel like people notice a lot less than when they're watching TV. Right. You know, it's kind of <laughs> just like, oh, and then a vampire hunter shows up. Like, until you get really out of hand, everyone's like, yeah, this is cool. This is still yeah. pretty badass. Yeah. yeah it's because <laughs> you're involved in it. Right? Yeah. When you're directly involved in being the badass, you're like, this is great. Right. When you're watching someone else be a badass, you're like, oh, that's that's derivative. I don't like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I also, we did bring up the idea of the vampire campaign. And my position is you, if your player, if any player comes to the table wanting to be a vampire, the answer is just no. Yeah. <laughs> There's, no. If, if any one player one comes player. to the table. Now, if your entire party comes and says, we would like to all be vampires, this is an incredible, incredible opportunity for a an evil campaign that makes sense this yeah. isn't burn down the village because you're bored this is <laughs> you go have to you have to go find an artifact for your boss you know and now all your characters get to be evil vampires and they get to act like vampires it adds a lot of stipulations that make a campaign i mean it would be extremely fresh is the best way i can put it you know you're now having to operate by darkness instead of light so you right know, it's one quick thing you're reversing you can't enter into houses unless you're invited you right. can't be in running water like all these little things that like you're like oh well that's you know something that everybody knows about vampires yeah well now it's your fucking problem compared to before where it's the vampire's problem right so I, that could be really cool and yeah. it, this sounds a little edgy but i think uh another thing that really could bring a lot to it is if your party decides to play this in a really evil way you know they could just like trounce about the forest looking for caves or they could go right to town as soon as night comes and it's like oh let's hit up the tavern yeah like, that's not gonna end well for a lot of people right but this is an evil campaign. And right. guess what that attracts? Vampire slayers. Yeah. You know, it attracts other people who are like, hey, there's some vampire spawns who have come in and started, you know, messing up your town. So I'm here to now fight them. So now it's like, I don't know, it's just like a total reversal that is really easy to, to play out compared to a lot of other evil campaigns where it's like, how do I even put structure around this? And right. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I burned down the village. Why? Because I'm evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially if they're all vampire spawns under the same vampire. Yep. And it's, it's almost too easy because it's just, there's your structure. You yep. have a very solid quest giver. Your party will obey 100% no matter what. They don't have free will to not obey him or her, but yeah, yeah. I would almost, um, now I'm just thinking of of making this campaign because uh, what if the like the twist was uh, at at some point like one of these vampire spawns like does start to get a, a touch of free will like something happens where they like start to realize like oh god I had a past I haven't always been under this vampire and I like want to start subtly fighting back and then it like could like the climax is them all like coming to the realization that they need to kill. The vampire. That's the just worst thing I've heard in a while. That's the exact <laughs> inversion of your paladin, like just like suddenly be like, oh, I want to, I want to kill a villager because I'm mad. It's like suddenly no. realizing he wants to be evil. I think you're 
you're hand-waving some of my hand-waving. Uh, obviously, there would have to be something that happened. Maybe a vampire hunter who, uh, I don't know, tortures them and, and basically throws holy water on them and, and brainwashes them in another way. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. But there are <laughs> things that can happen that, like, start to turn the vampire. And This all sounds a lot like the plot to Vampire Diaries. I haven't seen Vampire Diaries. I, I, my wife was into it for a bit. So, you know, I see a show episodes here and there and generally have an idea what happens in it. That's... A few hundred yeah. episodes. Kevin, wait, 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 Kevin. What's that on your shirt? Is that a? Does that say Vampire Diaries? Uh, Are you wearing a Vampire Diaries? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's my wife's shirt. <laughs> I never actually really sat down and watched it, so I right. can't make any claims of if it's good or bad. I just that's fine. I've never. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what the hell it is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what it airs on. But what you're saying sounds like a lot of the crap I overheard in there. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to be evil. It's like, yes, you do. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but uh, there is, all right, there's an alternative. And this is kind of an interesting situation. When the vampire that created vampire spawns dies, his hold over them evaporates. So imagine you've got your party of vampire spawns. They're all buddy-buddy, all under the control, essentially, of a vampire. And then he dies, and they're like, shit, what do we do, guys? Do they still... They're still vampires. They're spawns. still vampire spawns. The only way to become full vampires is to drink the blood of a vampire. Hmm. So that could be a quest. A bunch of vampire go. spawns trying to hunt a vampire. Oh, because they Because they just want to drink his blood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do they get like free will after that? Or yeah, what? complete yeah. free will. There's okay. nothing controlling them anymore. So what if they don't want to be vampires anymore? Then they die. They just die? Yeah, they get cured. Yeah, yeah, they die and then they get revivified. So there's two ways to go about that. There's, yes, let's become vampires. And then there's, yes, let's uh, find a cleric and be like, kill us, please. Yeah, and then he's going to kill you and go home. <laughs> That'd be a real dick move. He's like tossing the hundreds of gold that you gave him. Well, fuck those vampires. <laughs> Another one bites the dust. So one other thing, this other stat block to pull into this uh, is the vampiric mist. I don't know if you guys saw that one at all. Oh, yeah, that was um, interesting. It's it's not very commonly used, I feel like, but uh, basically when a vampire is killed, and I'm saying that in, in air quotes, they turn into a mist form for a little bit here. Uh, so they usually turn into just a mist, and then they go back to their resting place and just become a vampire again. Uh, but if they can't make it to their resting place, they turn into this vampiric mist, as I understand. I think that sounds right. I haven't looked it up in a little. Yeah, if they're not in the resting place, they turn into a mist and try and get back there. Okay. Where then they're like paralyzed for an hour until they regenerate one health and then they're back or a day or something like that. Perfect. So, so it makes it hard to permanently kill them. Right. So if you're in a situation for some reason the vampire can't get back to their form, they just kind of roam as this vampiric mist. So that's like the general way of doing it is, you know, they are just... A miss, maybe they're, I don't know why you'd fight this in a normal situation, to be honest. But it could also be a pretty good stage two, or just like a furthering of the vampire fight. It's by default a challenge rating three, which is not very strong. Um, but it does have like this life drain ability, which is very similar to... Uh, Wait, what's the, challenge rating three? The Vampiric Mist. The Vampiric Mist is an enemy. Yeah, it's a oh. stat block. Okay, I completely missed that. I'm 90% sure this is like when the vampire dies, it creates a corrupted version of its mist. Right. So this is just like a brainless cloud that wants to suck blood. Correct, 100%. So that's, what I think like they say, it normally just goes straight to its body. But if there's for some reason it's blocked from doing that, I don't know what your, your reasoning is, but you know, there's things. 
you just have the vampiric mist be like a, a continuation of it, like where it's, you know, just you, you kill the vampire. Now the vampiric mist is out. As I said, it's challenge rating three in here, but you can always beef that up if if the vampire fight was too easy, basically. I, I think it's pretty tough to use the vampiric mist for anything other than evil cloud stuff. Evil cloud yeah, stuff. Yeah, so the idea is like, what do, what do they fight? Uh, zombies, some kind of creepy undead thing. I don't know. Let's make it harder to hit. Okay, now it's a cloud. It's a it's a shadow. It's a invisible stalker. There's like 14 of these guys in the monster manual and the other monster books. <laughs> Just like weird phantoms that fuck with them in undead ways. So I don't know. I've always thought this was a weird tack on. Yeah, that's he, fair enough. He, he was resistant to like basically everything. Does almost no damage. Has almost no health. And it's not that hard to hit. Right. And so I think that's like, it's a cool idea, the Vampiric Mist, that could be easily bumped up, I guess is what I'm getting at. Because, you know, that's that's always a good way to change up monsters. Like, All right, now it's got more health. Now it's got multi-attack. Now it's got whatever else I want to put on it that makes it mm-hmm. actually difficult. You know, again, maybe it's the, the fight was too easy. Maybe you uh, intentionally make it easy. So that way you can have the, not intentionally easy, but you just aren't worried about them blowing through it. They're level 13. And then you make like a totally beefed up vampiric mist for like a, a, a wave two of the, the boss fight. I feel like that would totally sap the energy of the fight. It's like, we beat the monster. All right, now you have to fight the mist. Yeah. It's like, wh- why? What do you mean? I don't want to fight a fucking monster cloud, dude. I just killed a vampire. <laughs> But you killed the dragon. You're now you have it. to fight the puddle. <laughs> saying it's a weaker version. This isn't really much like a, this is my second form transformation. Aha. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is. I'm saying it could be. Oh, you're saying it. beef it up enough where it's even stronger than the vampire. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a major change to this. Yes. Challenge rating three to over 13. It's not actually that hard. With, to make it interesting though i mean sure you could slap on 100 hit points bump the ac by four and triple all the attacks but like that's not give that's, it some spells it's an interesting fight how the fuck would it cast spells man who cares it's a fucking d it's D. who knows it just does spells <laughs> why do you want this cloud I mean, innate spell casting is a thing in jared's defense it has yeah. a fucking six intelligence man I'm okay i was literally saying <laughs> here's the concept of something a vampire turns into mist when it dies we can do something with that. And you're like, nope, can't do anything. All right. Now, if you say that, if you say you want to take its misty escape and turn it into misty second stage, I would actually semi entertain that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, no, the monster vampiric mist is a very specific thing that you probably should not fuck with. <laughs> okay, fine, <laughs> fine, whatever. See, I, for me, I would see the second stage as more of a, it turns into this like terrible kind of bestial thing. It becomes less intelligent, but higher AC, higher armor class just hits really fucking hard. Sort of like half wolf, half bat, terrible creature, something like that. I'm kind of getting like this sort of Ganon, Ganondorf sort of oh, vibe yeah, from yeah. Legend of Zelda. And you fight the humanoid. I know he's not a vampire, but you, especially in like Ocarina of Time, you really sort right. of get that vibe from him. There's the organ playing in his castle and all that crap. Yeah, actually, now that you say it, isn't he a vampire? No. <laughs> no, I know. Um, <laughs> And then once you defeat his human form, he transforms into Ganon, the big terrible beast. And right. Th- that's actually in most Zelda games. But anyways. Um, that does remind me, though, there's one ability that we haven't talked about, which is Children of the Night for the vampires. Oh, yeah. Uh, once per day, they can just call some bat swarms or rat swarms or wolves that'll come in 1d4 rounds to help them. I just think that's funny. I don't know. It's not like <laughs> hilariously funny, but it just seems like such an odd thing 
in comparison to everything else the vampire has. They're like, and now some wolves show up, I guess. I don't fucking know. Yeah, the flavor's there. The mechanic's like, you, I, I don't know. I'd always see a vampire being like kind of above calling a bunch of bats. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Help me, bats. The only thing I could see is if you were like going through a vampire's lair, let's say, and in this room, the vampire sees you and he's like, Help me, bats. And he just like whoo, turns into bats himself and then, you know, spooks out of the room. And then now there's bats or wolves you have to fight. But like, again, if you're even close to fighting a vampire, it's not going to be a really fun fight no so 3d6 wolves is uh that's not fucking around <laughs> no 18 wolves would be a lot to deal with but on average we're talking about i guess it'd be 12 wolves eh, you know they're not strong though they're challenge rating one eighth yeah but they do have the pack tactics yeah Still. not eh, multi-attack though eh. i mean you could beef it up to dire wolves but what? no you you can't really beef it up to dire wolves unless you're bumping the challenge rating like, they, they have all this shit in Curse of Strahd. He does control direwolves, but, you know, this is the ability is just a... Even, you know, adding up to 18 wolves to an ongoing combat, I don't care if they're challenge rating 8, 1-8. That's like... <laughs> it is a bit That's an alarming situation. Right, right, right. Everyone's positioned perfectly. We've got REOEs, battlefield control. Oh, shit. Wolves <laughs> oh, just no. everywhere. Oh, <laughs> is that 18 wolves? <laughs> 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 I like to think about like you're like in the throne room of his castle. Where the fuck did the wolves come from? Well, they had yeah. How many seconds? They had like twenty four seconds tops to get to that location. To be fair, he has to be outdoors to call the wolves. Oh yeah. Otherwise, it is bats or rats. But like, how how disappointing would it be if it was just three wolves? Because this is three d six. It's not a specified <laughs> number. You're like, oh, <laughs> this will be your toughest challenge yet. Oh, it's just three wolves. Okay. Probably should have fudged that die roll a little. <laughs> I'm calling my wolf guy. <laughs> now, the, the obvious way to boost up the one-on-one vampire fight is just throw vampire spawn at it. Yeah, for sure. And that's easily adjustable because they're kind of sneaking in the shadows. And if you're in there, it's a layer. They could be all over the place. So it's not odd for them to just keep showing up out of the woodwork throughout the fight. So you sort of balance it as you go. Yeah. Just keep throwing them at it. Yeah, or make one of those uh, vampire spawns a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Vampiric wolf spawn. Yeah. But yeah. no, I totally agree. Yeah. That's that's definitely good they're challenge rating five, so that's not. Yeah, that's they're not be like hefty. Not, they're not cannon fodder. Yeah, and, and they're basically just toned down vampires. They have pretty much all the same stuff, a little less traits. They don't have the shape changing to go into like a bat or the mist form. Or right, and they they also have spider climb, which as you're saying for like them coming in mid battle could just be pretty cool. Yeah, because they just like drop off the ceiling. Yeah. Anything, whatever. Yeah, yeah, and they have the same claw and bite attacks, just weaker. Yeah, actually, that's that's something that um, you were kind of mentioning, Will, is it's going to take forever to drop somebody down with that bite attack. With some vampire spawns, though, it's not going to be like two rounds or anything, but it'll definitely speed up the process. Yeah, if you were looking to do a combat combat kill with a vampire, you would have all your vampire swarm spawns swarm the guy, take their bites, knock him down all the way, and then come in for the coup de gras. Yeah. Which, so. now that like we're saying it, sounds really shitty. I don't know. That's, that is a little bit horrifying. It's like, if you if one of your characters pisses off the vampire, and the vampire has like nine of these guys, right. go for just him, and they're just like biting him and sucking the blood out of him. None of your party can do anything. And then he just like bites him and takes him away. It definitely, even regardless of in combat, would work thematically, where if like maybe... Um, 
I don't know, I'm just thinking of a situation where like a, a single party member is basically like, you know, I'll stay back and hold them off. You guys all run. Just like vampire spawns just like come and swarm them and just begin like sucking the blood out of them. Their desiccated corpse and falls I'm getting like a Harry Potter to mentor vibe from this. Sure. That fourth one when he's like at the lake and they keep like swooping in. And right. And then yeah. over and over and over. It's like it's, violent biting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little less PG. And then just actual death. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like the conclusion we reached. This is a great way to kill somebody, make it mean something, and then theoretically bring them back. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Cool. All right. Vampires. Their thing. (laughs) And after every sentence they say, they have to go. They started with that. Oh, oh. No, (laughs) No, you mix it up, man. It's going to get too derivative. Start it, edit, middle, you know, everything. (laughs) Everything. Welcome to a castle. (laughs) (laughs) That's just like a nervous tick you have. (laughs) I don't understand what you're saying. Stop blah, blah, bullying me about my blood. <laughs> so, yeah, that vampire would have, I don't, let's just drop his charisma down to like 11 for safety. <laughs> um, anything else about vampires? No, I got it. Nope. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening. Next time on Monsters and Multiplex. Join us as we discuss the Rogue Warlock multi-class, as well as the Bugbears, the Bug Baron, for real this time. Like, I promise it's going to be Bugbears, not vampires. Whoa.